You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, books, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. This week's conversation is with Nicole Sullivan, owner of Book Bar in Denver, Colorado. As you'll hear from Nicole, Book Bar started as an idea to pair wine with books. But like many of us, things like jobs, school, marriage, and parenthood get in the way or even outright stop idea bursts like these. But Nicole found a way to make it happen and be successful. Here's her story. Thanks for listening. For people that don't know, what's the origin story of your store? This is fascinating to me because it's not, you're, you're, you're not a traditional bookstore. You've done something, you've created a concept kind of, if you will. So just kind of go back a little bit for me and, and talk about the origin story, how this all came about. Okay, sure. So first of all, I think it's probably important to know that I did not set out to open a bookstore at any time. <laughs> I didn't wake up one day and was like, I'm going to open a bookstore. That's what right. I'm going to do with my life. Of all the business opportunities in front of you, you weren't, this wasn't like the top of the uh-huh. list. Yeah. Well, and I wasn't even thinking that I would ever necessarily open a business. I was actually considering going back to school and getting my master's degree in nutrition. Then, but I've always had ideas in my mind, you know, if I ever were to open a business, this is a business that I would open. So I guess I've always been business minded in the very back of my head. What's your background? Well, so I was in, um, well, I went to culinary school. So I, you know, worked in some restaurants a little bit. And then um, I spent a few years in um, financial corporations. And I worked as um, a website analyst and a reporting analyst for a couple of different corporations. And then before I opened this business, I spent seven years at home with my kids. And um, most important job of all, the hardest job of all. (laughs) And so I had a lot of time on my hands to think about what I was going to do next, which, you know, at the time I thought was probably it was going to be nutrition. Then it was about the time that they were going to school full time. They were both going to, you know, be in preschool and, and grade school. And the Local, my community bookstore, independently owned, you know, great little bookstore, announced that it would be closing. This is in Denver. Uh-huh, in Denver. It's actually in the exact same space where my store is now. What was it called? It was called the Bookery Nook. Okay. And um, I knew the owners, and it's so upset about losing our bookstore. And um, I've always been a strong believer in the power of books and the power of bookstores in communities. So I approached them and said, gosh, is there anything we can do? Like, I'm about to have some time on my hands. Is, is there you know, anything that I can do to keep this store alive? And we tossed around ideas. And I threw out the idea of adding a wine bar because that's one of the ideas that had been rolling around in the back of my head for some time is wouldn't it be great to have somewhere I could go as a consumer? You know, after I put my kids to bed at night, and I've been with them all day. I've been in the house all day. And I would love to get out somewhere where I can read a book, have a glass of wine that's not my house, but that's not a bar. And also somewhere where I could host my book clubs, you know, where we could we could all order wine, but it's not a restaurant. So we're not, you know, beholden to a restaurant meal that's, you know, not a bar so we can hear each other. And they're just, I realized that that place just did not exist. So that's the idea that I threw out to this bookstore that was about to close. And they said, oh yeah, we would love to do that, but we just 
you know, we have nothing left to put into this business. So long story short, they ended up closing. I was already so far down the road with this idea and so entrenched in it that after they closed... You had to see it through. Yeah, I was, I, I had to see it through. So they ended up closing in fall 2012. So then I opened in spring of 2013. The same location. Same location, yeah. Okay. And it's a fantastic location. It's very pedestrian friendly. It's right on the corner. It's on a um, a street that's about a mile long of um, restaurants, boutiques, and it's mostly locally owned businesses. Um, so it's just the, the most ideal location. Which totally helps. I went to actually went to grad school in uh, Denver. So. Oh, okay. That I lived downtown. My haunt was uh, Tattered Cover, and I spoke to them oh, uh, sure. last week. So, okay, it's cool to see that. So, was there a blueprint for your model anywhere? Was there was anybody else in the country doing something like this? Because now it's a bit of a thing um, <laughs> in, in, in certain cities. Just pairing pairing, you know, libations with books, yeah. and and so I, I just want to know, like, where were you on the pioneering spectrum of this? Well, um, I didn't know that there were others out there and there certainly were no others in our area. So yeah, I definitely carved a path with this business plan, but then I did, I mean, like, you know, if you're, if you're writing a business plan, you've got to do your research. So I looked to um, a few other places in the country. There's one, it's called the Spotty Dog and they're in New England. So I, I kind of did a little bit of research on them And there was the bookseller in Chicago, and they have been doing this for a while, but nothing that was as integrated as what I was envisioning. So it was important to me, especially because my space, my store is all one open space. You know, there's no division physically between the bookstore and the bar slash cafe. That was what I, one of the things I was going to ask you was what was your, I'm kind of, what I was getting at is what was your inspiration in terms of the store design? Because if, if you don't have a blueprint, you kind of have to just kind of rely on your imagination. So what, what, what went into figuring out what the, what the space would look like or how you wanted it to be? I mean, it was kind of already laid out for me in the fact that um, after the, the previous bookstore left, we had a blank slate to work with. And it's, it was a 1500 square feet of just open space. It had previously at some point been a duplex, but the walls had been knocked down. So it's just a big square, big open square. So I wanted to be sure and keep it like that because there are, there were other bookstores and are other bookstores that have a store and then have a cafe. You know, Barnes and Noble is an example of that. Yeah. But the cafe doesn't seem so integrated with the rest of the business. And so that's, that was my guiding principle, I guess, was just to make it integrated so that you don't have the sense of, oh, I'm at the books section. Now I'm going to go over to the bar and do something else. I wanted all the activities to be very integrated so that you can take your glass of wine over to the, you know, and browse within the books or, you know, sit at a table that's within the books, take your book to the bar. Yeah, that integration was important to me. Free flowing. And, and down to the the one of the biggest challenges for me for this business and for others that are going down the same path is that there's no great POS system for this concept. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still important to me that people will be able to um, buy a book at the bar or buy 
a glass of wine, order a glass of wine at the book desk, and to be able to do that all in one transaction. How does it work for you guys right now? Is it is it one register for all transactions, or do you have separate? Do you separate them by you know uh, books versus food versus other things, events? Yeah, we have we have um, a couple of different registers, but we can do anything at, at either at register. So we've got mm-hmm, yeah, so you can you can purchase food, wine, and a book all at the same time. And I would imagine there are other time restrictions on the on, on when you guys sell wine. Is it only certain times of the day or? Nope, all day long. Okay, so there's like someone someone's particularly eager in the in the <laughs> mid mid morning they can stop by. Business-wise, so you you have a business plan, you have a new concept. What in your mind, especially today, now you've been in the business, I think you've you've been around since 2013, correct? Correct. Yeah. What's the formula? What are you guys doing differently? I have some other questions about how you drive traffic to the store, but what's your formula for what this business is supposed to be on a day-to-day basis for in terms of operationally and then in terms of for the community? The thing that I kind of stumbled upon and and the idea that I had before I knew there was an actual name for it was the concept of third space or third place. Right. So that I knew going into it, you know, again, based on just my own personal needs as a consumer, where I wanted a place where I can just sit and read a book and have a glass of wine or, you know, meet with my book club for a couple of hours and order some wine and share some food. That concept I later learned is called, you know, third place. And it's, and, and I learned throughout the years how important it is to community and to societies and how increasingly we're losing third places in societies. You know, so we used to have the diners and the, you know, small businesses where people could gather and barbershops and, you know, places where people could just gather and, you know, have a cup of coffee and sit and chat for a while and form partnerships and meet new people and share ideas. But we've increasingly become businesses have become so concerned rightfully so with turning tables and getting people in and out the door and making that sale because small business is getting harder and harder yeah um so i understand why businesses have gone towards that and giving you a time limit on wi-fi or requiring purchases for wi-fi so i wanted to move away from that and sort of the rules that we've been creating and go take a step back and go back to the concept of third place and giving the community a space where we don't set time limits. We don't have rules around who can use Wi-Fi and who can't and how long you can take up a table. So we just want to create a space for people to use. Hopefully they buy books and they buy food and drink from us. And I feel like by creating that space, to allow them to do that and to allow them to, to feel like it's theirs and they have some sort of ownership in it, that they will, you know, they will purchase from us when, when they go to make a purchase. So that's been kind of our guiding. Allowing patrons to just be at your store. To just be. Yeah. Right, exactly. To come in and enjoy our space and make friends and meet other people. And we see it every day, you know, people that are regulars, they meet each other. And before you know it, they are kicking off some project together, or we'll see a guy sit in the corner typing away at his computer for days on end, and lo and behold, he is writing a book in our space that we end up hosting an event for. I read one article about your space, and they they described you or the store as being fierce with respect to driving traffic to the store. Okay. And that that just kind of piqued my interest. What are some of the things that you're doing? Some of the ways that you're innovating in terms of getting people into the space to, you know, experience your programming, experience your offerings, you know, so on and so forth. 
Well, I, luckily, I have um, I've built over the last five years an, an incredible staff of very creative, very passionate people, and so I, I think letting them drive some of the events that we do and kind of own some of their ideas. Like, for example, we just hosted an open mic night that we're going to be doing on a regular basis every first Friday. So we just did this this last night, and it was one of our employees, Sarah, who um, she used to work at Boulder Bookstore. She's a comedian. She's very creative. She was very passionate about doing this uh, recurring open mic night. And I said, absolutely, take it on, run with it. She has the same passion for a podcast that she wants to do here as well. So I think giving ownership of things that they're passionate about in terms of events has been a big boost for us. And then also, again, just integrating the cafe bar with the books it's given us a leg up on the unique events that we can do. Like we can bring in authors of beer books or wine books or cookbooks, and we can integrate what they have to say about their book with actual, you know, beer wine tastings. And sometimes we'll recreate recipes for recipe books and give out samples. So it just helps to elevate what we can do and do something a lot more unique. And the way that the store is set out, we have a um, lounge area that's sofas and a couple of coffee tables. And so that's where we currently hold our author events. And part of that is because we we like to hold sort of more intimate author events where you feel like you can come in and, and talk with the author rather than some of the more traditional events that you go to. which Lost in the crowd. Yeah, which obviously have a place. You know, you get a big author in and you can't really have an intimate <laughs> Right. Especially if you announce it. Right. But we wanted to kind of get away from that more formal author event and make it more of a social event where you can have a drink with an author. What's Bookbed? Um, So that is a it's an apartment upstairs above the store. And we opened that in 2015. And it is an author bed and breakfast. So that's where we house our um, authors that come to visit us and when we don't have authors stay there it's on airbnb so it pays for itself it's a nice novelty in terms of marketing i would imagine too oh my god yeah yeah, it's been a game changer for us and the for the types of authors that we can get in because we started putting that into our proposals you know that if you send us your author then we will include room and board we'll throw in the, the free lodging yeah free wine and free board i mean how can you refuse that right (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, you know, maybe that's where the aggressiveness has come from or the fierceness. Yeah. Which is not, it's not a pejorative term in any way. It's like a good thing. It's cool because so a lot of people just in, in, in small business retail, especially they just have that mentality, you know, if you build it, they will come and you just turn the, you just turn the sign from close to open and then you just kind of stand back and wait today, especially in, in this new era, you have to be aggressive. You have to kind of come up with creative novel ways. And that's, that's kind of the essence of what the article that I read, what it was showing is that you have to have this outside of the box mentality. Absolutely. Increasingly so. I mean, the more competition that we have as small businesses and locally owned businesses, the more creative and energetic we have to be. You're right. You can't just open the open the doors anymore and, and expect people to float in. And also, you know, as I, I'm a huge advocate for local business and supporting local business, but I've always been a little turned off by that word, support your local business. You know, like we, when you put that message out to the community saying, please support us. It sounds a little desperate. And yes, and it's not yeah. enough. 
You, it's yeah. not enough to ask people to support you just because they should. You have to give them a reason to come to you. 100%. Not being able to compete on price means that you have to have this laser focus on curation and discovery. What's your curation process? And now for you, this is going to be unique in terms of books and in terms of wine. How do you guys select what you're going to stock? Kind of just talk about your, your nuts and bolts behind the scenes uh, approach to curating your, your inventory. I think I just had this uh, sort of intuitive knowledge just visiting a bunch of bookstores that it's important, especially with a smaller footprint, to have a focus and to have a clear focus that you're trying to communicate to people. I've, I've seen bookstores that don't do it so well and, and try to be like a mini Barnes & Noble where they have various sections and they're trying to offer a little bit of something to everyone. But when you try and do that with a small print footprint, you're not curating any of the sections very well. So I set out to create a store that kind of I see, you know, on my friends' bookshelves and that I see book clubs reading and modeled a little bit after my own bookshelves at home. Naturally. Yeah. And and so our focus is on literary fiction and nonfiction book club books and like good quality children's books. So, you know, not not a lot of that licensed Disney stuff or, you know, cartoons, but like good quality um, message and artwork and, and writing. So that's been our focus. And so... Um, how many titles do you guys have? Right now we have about 10,000. And what's the, I have a small kid, so we, we buy a lot of children's books. How much of the inventory is kids? How big of a business is that? Um, it's about, actually, when you're talking just our books, um, it's yeah. about 50%. It's about half of our sales. It's children's books. It's amazing. Yeah. It's the one of the resurgences and sort of like not only in do, in putting this series together, but just kind of just reading and following the industry. Kids' books just move. Oh, yeah. And they move in volume and, and parents buy multiple copies. And um, it's just interesting. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a return to, uh, especially from parents buying for their kids? Like, what, what are you seeing uh, on the ground? What are you hearing? Why is it so important? Well, I, I can say this from um, a business owner and also I have a couple of kids. So from experience, I, I think the reason is because um, going to the library is great. And, you know, we have a, a great partnership with our local library. But you have to return books. So, you know, some of your favorites that you have, you know, just us as children, if you think back to your favorite books as children, when you were a child, they were the books that you read over and over and over and that you probably owned. And um, so that's why parents often buy the book rather than um, just checking them out at the library. And they make great birthday presents. That's what all of my kids' friends get for birthdays and to the point where my kids complain about it. They're like, oh, my God, my friends don't want more books. <laughs> Your yeah. friends are getting more books. <laughs> and it's just such a it's such a good classic gift. You know, it's not a plastic toy. Yeah. Timeless. And it's timeless. And you can read it over and over again. And then you can pass it on to somebody. And then also, I think the third reason is because children's books do not translate well as ebooks. And even as audiobooks, I think audiobooks are so wonderful and they're one of the fastest growing segments of um, literature, but you know, you don't get the pictures and the artwork with them. You and don't get the three dimensionality. Exactly. And certainly yeah. that's the case with ebooks. So I don't think many parents are going towards ebooks for children. It's mostly um, physical books and they're purchasing the ones that they really love and want to have and keep and hang on to you. And then they're great gifts. Those are, I think, the three biggest reasons. And it's the three biggest reasons why children's books are the fastest growing of 
book sales across the board. Yeah, no, it, a big function of it too is just they they're on tablets plenty already. There's right. Other, there's they need we need other outlets for kids. Exactly. Is there anything in the store that sells really well that kind of surprises you? Oh gosh. You don't have to name um, a specific title and put anybody on the spot, but I always just ask this question because I'm just kind of curious, you know, you're, wow, I wonder why, why people are buying this or, or what sort of just a little bit of slice of life culture in your little part of Denver, like what's moving that kind of makes you think? Yeah, this is a hard question, but I think the thing that, well, I think the, tr- the trendy things that we've seen kind of come and go over the last few years, coloring books were huge for a while. And they're just and gone kind now, of right? Off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My much. wife was really into them for a while, and there's they're, they're yeah. collecting dust in one of our cabinets right now. Yeah, so that was surprising. Like at first, I, I kind of got it. Okay, people need to tune out and you know just sit and color, and in it's kind of a zen meditative activity. And now I think that the trend that we're seeing not as big as coloring books, but these um, bullet journals. And I don't. I have to confess, I don't I haven't spent a lot of time with them, so I don't quite know what they're about. But people are loving these bullet journals. I guess they're, they help you get organized and in sort of a more creative way, like more practical tactile way or something. It's a return to analog in in so many different areas of life. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's all coming around. So this is another kind of, uh, this is a macro question for you. Um, and you know, you can take your time to, to think about it. More bookstores are opening instead of closing. Yeah. The narrative in the media, especially, is the opposite, or they're they're prognosticating doom and gloom. And mm-hmm. NPR just did something, and they're they're basically just kind of like shock in shock and awe about how <laughs> the industry is still surviving, which is kind of annoying at this point. Yeah. But how have you bucked the trend or proven prognosticators wrong? Why are more bookstores opening instead of closing? Yeah, this is, so this is a question that I don't have to think that much about because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big um, advocate for uh, local business, and I actually have started a um, localism organization, Local First Colorado. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this and it, it just goes back to the way our society is kind of falling into place is you have these giant corporations, right? And they have taken so much business from not only small businesses, but the medium-sized businesses. And the medium-sized businesses, like we've seen this most recently with Toys R Us, we saw it with Walden Books, we're seeing it with Barnes and Noble, and I'm sure other plenty of other industries as well, like Sears and J.C. Penney, and sort of those mid-range stores across the country are are the ones that are struggling. And I think it's because the smaller stores like mine are so much more nimble. You know, we're so much more flexible, and mm. when when we see you know, a trend or when we see, you know, like Amazon opening uh, brick and mortar stores in Denver, then we're like, okay, well, let's, you know, we can do this. We can do an open mic night. We can do something, you know, fun with the bar. We can, we can make these snap decisions that we don't have to check with a corporate office about. And um, we can, we can be more experimental and see, you know, does this work? And if it doesn't, then we can dial it back or try something else. Cut your losses and move on. Right. And then also it goes back to, again, that third place, creating an experience. So creating a place where people want to be rather than just a destination that people want to get in and out of really quickly and get what they need and move on. So I think what we're seeing is movement towards these giant corporations that can give you 
price cuts and convenience and, you know, small businesses that can give you experiences and a sense of community. And that seems to be how things are kind of falling into place. So I think that's why you're seeing more bookstores because small, you know, with a smaller footprint, with a curated selection. And for my store, a lot of our Going back to your curation question, a lot of a lot of what we do is also a reflection of our community. So, you know, while I'm I'm sort of recreating the the books that I think that my community wants to read, I'm also getting information from them constantly. When when people come in and ask for a specific book or ask, you know, they they want to order special order a book that we don't have in. Those are the things that I also take into consideration when I do book orders. Um, so it's almost like a, a dialogue that we're having with our customers and with our community that mm-hmm. shapes our purchases. And that's something that you just can't do with a bigger store. You mentioned Amazon and the fact that they're opening physical stores. What do you think of that? Is it, or or are you even thinking about them at all at this point? Is it kind of a shrug your shoulders thing? It, It is kind of a shrug of my shoulders thing, partly because for now, thankfully for me, they are not opening anywhere near my store. And also, um, they're doing something that's just completely different. I mean, they're not creating an experience. They're not creating a store where you want to go in and hang out. You know, they're, they're very, what they're, re, they're doing is they're recreating what they do online in a brick and mortar presence. And I think that in the long term, it's not going to shake out too well. I don't know how much success they're going to get from that. Yeah, a lot of people that a lot of people that I've talked to in in this series, there's kind of a consensus that it's more of like a billboard for them than anything else. It's something so, they can afford to do, and they yeah. can afford to cut their. You know, it can be a loss leader for them. Exactly. But um, it's it's and it's so ironic that you know they are jumping into a market that they have tried their best to crush <laughs> to put yeah. out of business. Right. Right. Um, so. We'll, we'll see what happens, but it, true readers, like, you know, real readers that really enjoy great books and discovering new books and discovering new authors, they're not going to find that from, from Amazon. So I think we'll always have, we'll always be able to corner that market of true readers. And you'll always, you'll always have the experiences. Your programming will define you and, exactly. and, and your community will rely on that. So some, some stores have opened, like there's these mini chains, independent mini chains. Are, is expansion in the, in the future for you? Are you think, is that something you're thinking about? No, no. I get asked this question every day and <laughs> I really don't, especially being in a town, um, the same town as Tattered Cover. They yeah. have a few different locations. Right. I have to be honest, like, I don't think my store would be here if it weren't for, or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if it hadn't been for Tattered Cover. They have definitely blazed the trail as far as literature goes in Denver. And um, and they do what they do really well. And they have a few different locations, and they've been really smart about how they've scaled their business. So. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to just like want to leave it to them. I don't think Denver needs two different independent chains. Well said. I'm just more interested. I love my community. I I work here and I live here too. So I am interested in serving my community and I actually do consulting. So I help other people open stores like mine just to kind of help them with the, the blueprint and the map, you know, that I didn't necessarily have when I went into this. So I would so much rather do that and, and help people open stores like mine in their own communities that can reflect their own communities than recreating what I've done. And to recreate, to, you know, to do a franchise, 
you have to create a cookie cutter model. Right. And cookie cutter is exact opposite of what I do. So I'm not interested in that. I'd rather, I'm more interested in um, doing other literary businesses. <laughs> really quickly, I'm launching a new business here in the next few weeks. It's a website that um, matches readers. It's kind of like match.com, but it matches readers to um, book clubs in their area. That kind of thing is is more what I'm interested in doing. That's awesome. You actually fed into my next question. You mentioned that you're, you're doing some consulting or you have a consulting business. What do you say to people that want to open a bookstore today? How can they make it work? What are some <laughs> things they can do? Or what are some, what are some like one or two or three bullet points you can give listeners that are thinking about opening a bookstore or that think a bookstore should exist in their neck of the woods? What's your advice to those people? My advice is only do it if you are a book lover, if you have a passion for this business, don't do it for the money because <laughs> you'll be disappointed. Um, it's it's not a moneymaker. It's a community builder. It's very creative. It's incredibly fulfilling. I can't imagine doing anything else. I can't imagine doing any other work that would make me as happy. So I think that's the most important thing to take away from it. And then also go into it from a very community-oriented standpoint. So, you know, go into it as, is like I said, if you're, if thinking about your inventory and, and bettering your com- community through your inventory and through your events and building literacy as a dialogue with your community in everything that you do and kind of matching your the personality of your community or else you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. I think that is also the second probably most important thing. And think in terms of, you know, a smaller footprint. Don't try to be the next Barnes and Noble or, or to fill that space. I think we're going to see the continued trend of smaller, well-curated, community-matched stores throughout the country. And I think that is the way that, as independent booksellers, we're going to thrive and continue to thrive. What does a typical day look like for you? Increasingly for me, I'm off the sales floor, unfortunately. I wish I had more time to to be you know, behind the book and behind the bar. And that's often the times that I am reminded why I do this is when I get to talk to customers and they tell me how much they love a book that they are recommended or how much they love our space. That's the the kind of thing that I, it just makes me so happy and it makes me think, okay, this is why (laughs) I'm working so hard. But mostly a lot of email. I get a ton of email. I'm doing the more high level business stuff lately. Like our financial reports and overseeing the budget and overseeing all the different parts and pieces, you know, checking in on our food costs. That's mostly what I do these days. You mentioned uh, POS kind of being um, Mm -hmm. a pain point in the business. Is there another pain point in the business that's kind of nagging you? No, no, not Okay. Really? What about within the industry? Is there anything in the industry, the book industry, that you would like to see change or kind of evolve? Yeah. So one of my one of my platforms right now, uh, or soapboxes, I guess, is trying to get the industry to be more technologically savvy, trying to um, get it to be more electronic. So there's a system uh, that's widely used in the UK called the batch system. And it's where um, it's a, it's a platform for publishers to use electronic invoicing and billing. It's been met with great success in the UK and it's very efficient. UK booksellers absolutely love it. It's cut a lot of costs and a lot of time out of 
booksellers' days. I mean, I spend a lot of time doing that, you know, just just dealing with all the paperwork because every time you do um, a purchase from a publisher, and we work with a lot of different publishers, we get a packing slip and an invoice and a statement, and it just builds up into a huge stack of paperwork every single week, every single month, and every single piece of paperwork looks completely different from publisher to publisher. So if I train somebody to help me out with this, they have to, it's like learning a new language. So it's incredibly antiquated. It's archaic. It's incredibly inefficient. So that is the biggest, single biggest thing is an industry that we can do to improve our industry is to, um, to get electronic, move away from paper. Sure. You mentioned that you're you guys are thinking about media like in terms of podcasts and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Are you currently broadcasting events online or doing any kind of like yes. social media? Yeah, we are. We do um, we do Facebook Live for our events sometimes, not nearly as much as I would like to see. We do we've done a podcast and like I said, we're Sarah's picking up a, a new one. We do have a YouTube channel that we've kind of dabbled in a little bit. So we're we're dabbling right now. We're in the dabble. You're definitely phase. thinking about that stuff, which oh, is yeah. good to see. Definitely. Um some people will only look at something very objectively, like, is this going to drive, like, how many people are going to come to my store or my yeah. business as a result of this initiative? And I say to some of those people, not even in the book business, just kind of like in general, it's more about being top of mind. It's yes. more about kind of being a part of the cultural conversation right. and having an army of listeners or like viewers that will kind of evangelize your store. You know, someone mentions they're going to be in Denver for a meeting. There's a chance that you'll have somebody who listens to your show or watches your channel or watches your events will be like, oh, there's this great bookstore called Book Bar in Denver. Go check them out when you're there. You could have potentially made a sale. I think if you think about it in in terms of that, it, it becomes a little bit more digestible and you'll be willing to kind of give it more effort than, well, you know what? It, we, did a, we did an event and like three people showed up. Yeah. It, there has to be a mindset shift in kind of goes in line with what you were saying about, you know, moving from print, getting a more efficient with technology to improve business overall. Absolutely. And, you know, book people aren't historically the best business people, you know, especially bookstore owners. We, uh, most of us go into this because we love books so much and because we are readers and, and a lot of readers are introverts. And so it, we're not the best business people, but we have to be. We have to be really savvy and we have to um, also think, don't, you know, we, we can't be too businesslike. We can't just think in terms of what's my return on this investment because sure. it's so, it's so hard to quantify a lot of times. And one great example of that is um, uh, most bookstores have um, this indie commerce site that allows our customers to purchase books online from us. So, you know, we can do anything that Amazon can do pretty much. We And we don't, we pay for that extra service to give that, to pass that service along to our customers. Right. And we don't get a ton of business from it. You know, we'd have to hammer the message home constantly that you can you know, buy online from us, buy online from us. So we don't get a ton of business from it. And if I were to sit down and crunch the numbers, maybe it doesn't even pay for itself. Maybe it does, but it keeps us relevant. And I think in this business, a lot of times that is just as important as that return on investment is the relevancy. 
Also, I'm going to throw a word out there, optionality. You're giving your customers yeah, the option. They might not use it. You know what? There's There might be, quote, unquote, better options if I'm just buying online. Mm-hmm. But my, my vendor, my store, my community space that I use has all of these options available to me if I want to use them, yeah, you know, definitely. and it's kind of a, it's kind of a sunk cost, but you do it because you use the, the word relevant. You have to kind of maintain that relevancy because there might be one customer or there might be one family member in that household that you're servicing that wants to choose that option, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump to a lightning round. Uh, okay. So these questions, these questions are kind of, you can answer them yes or no, or you can deep dive if you want to. It's your choice. Okay. What does the business look like in five years? Uh, so we are actually in the process of um, working on expansion. Sorry, this is not going to be a quick answer. <laughs> no, I, I love long answers. It's a podcast, so you can talk as long as you want. Okay. Um, not a lightning answer, but we have an, an old garage out back that we currently use for storage. It's not, you know, it's, it's an old garage. It's not climate controlled or anything. And so we are in the process of working on plans to knock that down. And we're building out a um, 2000 square foot two story building. So on the first floor, we're going to have um, a dedicated event space, because as much as I like to have those intimate author events, you know, in the lounge that I talked about where everybody just kind of sits around with the author. I still want to do those, but we need another option for the bigger name authors that are coming in that draw a bigger audience and that don't hear the, you know, all the bar noise yeah. that they get now. And it's also going to be a space that's going to be available for private rental for the community because we increasingly get asked to host, we've hosted three weddings We host birthday parties, graduation parties, wedding showers. So it's going to be a community event space. And it's also going to be a book art gallery because our street is an art district. So we want to have, we want to be involved in the arts in a way that communicates to the community that books are art. Very cool. And we want to focus on the value of books, the inherent value of books, because we have gotten because of, again, because of Amazon, you know, we've gotten to so used to devaluing the book and like, how cheap can I get this? And can I get it sure. cheaper somewhere else? So I want to change the conversation and remind people that there's so much value in books, whether it's, you know, a display about here's how a book is made, or here's the beauty of a book, or even here's what you can do with an old book. You can create art out of it and make sculptures out of it or whatever. So that's going to be, that's our uh, next expansion. And then the second floor is going to be storage space and offices. Very cool. I love to hear this innovation and this enthusiasm. It's so great. Do you think print will always exist? Yes. Absolutely. I, I heard a great analogy one time about when the escalator was invented, people didn't ask if stairs were going to be relevant still. <laughs> people use both, right? I love that. That's great. Yeah. What are you reading at the moment? Oh, I'm reading Lauren Groff. She wrote this new short story collection called Florida. And Lauren Groff is the author of Fates and Furies. And it is so engrossing. It's keeping me up at night. I absolutely love it. And I can't wait to sell it. Red or white? Red. And what what red are you into right now? Uh, I'm constantly into this South African one that we have. That I'm spacing the name on it. I've actually... I'm, I'm not drinking until May 26th because um, we're doing, we're forming a book bar team. We're running the Colfax Marathon as a uh-huh. team. <laughs> oh, cool. So you have to, you have to stay in the zone. <laughs> yes, I'm training. So, yeah. Um, are there any writers out there 
you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention? Um, yes, because this is the book that I just finished before um, I read Lauren Groff's book is Nick Arvin. He's a local author here in Denver, and he is he just wrote a book called Mad Boy. He he's somebody that I know in the community and I know his wife. And um, so I picked up his book and thought, OK, you know, I'll give it a try. And I was absolutely blown away. By, I mean, he lives here in our community, and he's just this amazing writer. And um, I wasn't prepared for how great this book is, and I can't wait to sell that one, too. Um, if you weren't a bookseller, what would you be doing? I would probably have continued down that road of uh, nutrition. And because before I opened my store, I was running marathons and, you know, just way, way crazy about nutrition and fitness. So I'd probably be doing something with nutrition and fitness. And probably if I were a dietitian, I wouldn't be nearly as happy as I am now. <laughs> Nothing against dietitians, but it's, it's, I realize now looking back that it's way too um, scientific and mathematical for me. Yeah, no. And you're doing something that you love, which is so cool. Not many people can say yeah. that. A couple more. Uh, complete the sentence. Denver is vibrant. What book have you recommended the most over the years to people? Geek Love. And finally, the most important question, I'm curious about your answer. Given that you're training for the marathon or half marathon, you might not be eating too many of these, but what's in your ideal sandwich? <laughs> Turkey, cucumber, sprouts, and red onions. Sounds awesome. Nicole, thank you so much for being a part of this series. This was a delight. You guys are doing awesome and innovative things in Denver, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Of course. Take care. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Book Stories. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Tate for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening.